I don't actually expect them to meet every single category full on or anything like that. I I suspect mm-hmm. it's it's probably going to be reasonably moderate in in a lot of these. So we'll see. We are examining the bite model. Uh, we're examining Seventh Day Adventists on the bite model, and I have a previous Seventh Day Adventist here and a current Seventh Day Adventist. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Why don't we start with Andrea and Time Swift? How long were you in the religion? Are you still in it, or? Um, no, I'm not. I'm not still in it. Um, I was basically born into the religion. Both my parents are Adventists. My grandparents on both sides are Adventists. And uh, I was baptized at 15. I withdrew my membership at either 22 or 23. I can't remember exactly when I did that. Ironically, my deconversion process started at an Adventist college. Adventist college. I didn't know that they had those. Very interesting. Yeah, uh, there's there's quite a few. Andrews University, Loma Linda University, hmm. uh, Walla Walla University, uh, Southern Adventist University. I know there are more, but those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on and, t- and talking to me about this. And we have the Jolly Duck here. Are you currently Seventh-day Adventist? Are you previously? What's your affiliation with it? I'm currently a Seventh-day Adventist. I was born into it. My dad was born Seventh-day Adventist, but my mom uh, converted from Catholicism to Adventism. Okay. Uh, a lot of my family, though, are from different denominations, like Pentecostals. Mm. Uh, weirdly, Reformed Adventist as well. Reformed Adventist. What's that mean? Yes. Uh, basically, there's this denomination that grew out of Adventism. Most of the time, they've been, they've been uh, trying to convert current Adventists into theirs because... They think that we're kind of an apostate church because we've strayed away from the Bible and such. And for reference, I'm sure that it's probably clear to everybody listening, but different churches are different. So you, I imagine that you two's experience is going to be different from each other. Definitely. I, I found it was very fascinating to go from the East Coast of the United States to the West Coast of the United States and see how different the Adventist culture was. Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully we will get a chance to touch on it and see how, what the differences are. So why don't we just jump into it? We've got the, the BITE model here. It's an acronym. stands for Behavior Control, Information Control, Thought Control, and Emotional Control. And we'll just go through each point under each category And I'll ask each of you what your thoughts are for each point. So we'll just start under behavior control. The first point here is promote dependence and obedience. To what extent, this is to Adrian, or I'm sorry, Andrian Timeswift. To what extent do you think your church promoted dependence and obedience? I would say that they definitely did that. Not so much dependence, but obedience. For example, like if you wanted to maintain your membership, you had to tithe. Okay. 10%? Um, yeah, yeah. You were expected to also give offerings, but tithing was the thing that they that they checked up on. And they would let that slide a little bit, but, it was, uh, but uh, if you wanted to hold a church office, that was definitely something that you had to be doing regularly. I had an aunt who confessed to uh, an extramarital relationship. She was divorced and and then was sleeping with her boyfriend, and the church censured her for that. There's there's definitely that sort of thing going on. So she had been divorced, and she had a boyfriend. So that means that she was not cheating on anybody, right? She was just basically in a relationship but wasn't married. Is that right? Yes. Okay, gotcha. I'm tempted to ask what a censure censure is, but we'll get to it. Give me one minute. I just want to get okay. uh, the Jolly Ducks take on it. What about promote dependence and obedience in your case? Do you think they did that much? I can give an example I, if you need one. I generally agree that there is a bit of obedience into it and not so much dependence. In our church, it was it was more promoted that uh, during sermons they would promote reading the Bible. Uh, have your own opinion on it. Don't just believe whatever the pastor told you or whoever was talking in the seminar okay. or the sermon. Regarding the tithe, it, it was kind of lenient here in our area mm. where if you couldn't afford to give or anything like that, it was fine. You should take care of your uh, any incoming or imminent financial problems before right. actually giving tithes. It's not mandatory, but it's, it is promoted. That's really interesting. 
because I would always hear sermons about how you would give your tithe first and that God would provide. Maybe a little bit Ugh. of a doctrinal difference. I know with, like, for example, Church of Christ, it's like super taboo to use musical instruments in worship. And for some of them, it's it's taboo to use musical instruments at all. But others are looked down upon when they do use musical instruments in church. So it could be a regional or a church-to-church thing. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a regional thing. That's really interesting to me. Here in, like, the British area, you could divide the Adventist churches, like, conservative, liberal, and moderate. Mm. Liberal would tend to use... uh, They didn't have any problem with any kind of music, any kind of instrument, so they would usually have different services. One would be a traditional one where it's just piano, hymns, and stuff like that your typical uh, church service, whereas there would be other services that would cater for more, some people would say liberal, where they would have like drum kits, guitars, and stuff like that. This has sparked a bit of controversy within the church because some people don't agree with the fact that they're what we would consider not really earthly music that wouldn't be allowed in your general church. Yeah, that was a conflict that I definitely ran into as well. That's the first point on it. Now, the next point is actually really important. It's it's a really relevant one. It's modify behavior with rewards and punishments. Now, I gave an example of this with Catholicism where they have the rosary beads. If you sin, you have to confess your sins, and then they give you an assignment, quote-unquote, where you have to pray the rosary a certain number of times. Or in an even more dramatic way, Jehovah's Witnesses will shun you if you disobey or disbelieve, and they will love bomb you for doing the right thing. So that's a system of rewards and punishments to kind of mold your personality into what the cult wants it to be. And the end result is almost like a glassy expression. You'll notice if you talk to certain Mormons or or Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever else, you'll see like glassy eyes and a perma smile on their face. Uh, Have you guys seen any kind of behavior modification with rewards and punishments in the church, setting aside the glassy eyes and the perma smile? Um, Well, definitely. Um, I mentioned the censorship, and there's also a number of other punishments that are potentially laid out in the church as as possibilities that the church has, including disfellowshipment, which basically means that they reject your membership. That's for, like, doing really bad things or rejecting core doctrines of the church. So what what happens when you're censured? Like what what do they do? What does it mean? Do they yank privileges okay. from you or something? Or yeah, so um, so censorship means that basically you can't do anything upfront in the church. You can't play the piano. You can't do Bible readings. You can't serve in a church office. That right. kind of thing. Okay, that makes sense. I, I know Jehovah's Witnesses have something similar called reproval. So what what's your take on it, Jolly Duck? I don't think it's a, I think it's a bit relevant, but sometimes when there's like a business meeting for a church, right, we tend to vote on stuff at the end if, it, if it's really controversial or something like that, or it needs like unanimous decision by the church. Sometimes when uh, the church board wants to pass something on, it's just my pure speculation, they would tend to disregard a secret ballot. So it would be like, uh, if you want to vote on something, it would be a show of hands. Mm. So for me, that was kind of it's a bit of a, a censorship where if you vote against the, the majority, it just it just seems like you're going to be uh, judged by the, the rest of the members. That's why some of us prefer to have a secret ballot where you won't be judged because no one knows how you voted. And I'd also like to say that there's a lot of shaming that goes on between the members to, to try and uh, regulate things, especially with regards to, say, conduct on the Sabbath and things like that. It's not necessarily a top-down sort of thing. It's just sort of everybody does it to everybody else. Right. And on that note, I don't know that we're... I don't know that the bite model really addresses specific doctrinal things like that. So this may be our only opportunity to talk about the Sabbath. I know that uh, in a lot of Jewish communities... The Sabbath is taken very seriously. When I was in New York City recently, there's this whole Jewish neighborhood, and every building, every skyscraper in this giant Jewish neighborhood, the elevators in them all stop on every single floor on the Sabbath so that you don't have to push a button, thus basically working on that 
on that day. Do you, what is the Sabbath like for you? We'll start with Andrea and Time Swift. What's the Sabbath oh, like? Okay, so we definitely don't go to that kind of extreme, but we, we definitely will not work for pay or do any kind of voluntary labor with the exception of evangelistic outreach kind of things, like sometimes go and, and like do a, a thing where we would provide food and toiletries and also tracts and whatnot to homeless people. Oh, so so you can, basically you can't work for pay, but you can work as like a community service type of thing on the Sabbath then? Yes, but it kind of has to be a church thing. Okay. Church sponsored. Um, church sponsored and right. and benefiting the church kind of thing. Got it. Um there were there were all those kinds of arguments over what you could and couldn't do. Could you watch TV? What kind of TV could you watch? Could you play sports? My family, they came down on you can watch TV but only like nature documentaries mm. or church stuff, bi- biblical stuff, veggie tales, that kind of stuff. If you were playing basketball, you could you could throw the ball around, but you couldn't play for like points and winning and all of that. The idea was that you you weren't supposed to do anything selfish. It was all supposed to be about God. I even, when I was talking with my pastor, I said something about how I do something on my Sabbaths, and he corrected me and, and made me say that it was God's Sabbaths. What's your take on the Sabbath, uh, the Jolly Duck? It Kind of similar to what Andrean said. Generally, yeah, we don't work on a Sabbath. If you absolutely have to, and you're like a nurse or something... Hmm. They seen oh, yeah, there was medical, there were right? exceptions for medical medical yeah, people yeah. because in the Bible you can see examples of Jesus healing people on the Sabbath and then getting challenged by the Pharisees Sadducees mm. and such. But for just for uh, that moral issue, they would usually take what they earned on that day and just tithe it or give it as an offering so that they're not actually profiting from what they did on the Saturday. Okay. Sabbath. The next one is dictate where and with whom you live. Do they do that to a large extent? What's been your experience? We'll start with the Jolly Duck this time. Um, The church manual has specific points on relationships and such. Mm. Generally, it discourages having relationships with people that are outside of the religion Mm. because there can be uh, disputes um, on how to raise up your children if you plan to have any. And it can lead to straying away because their behavior can influence you and it can lead to maybe immoral stuff that you wouldn't have done if you were with someone of the same denomination. Okay. And what about, what's your take on it, Andrea and Time Swift? I, I think they're pretty ac- that's pretty accurate. They don't want you cohabiting with somebody that you're not married to but are romantically involved with. And they don't really want you kind of affiliating or hanging out with like people that are outside the religion is that accurate um, or it it's it's tricky they want you to have friends outside the religion but not to necessarily be influenced by them they they would use the phrase in the world but not of it so the idea is that ideally you're going to be converting your your friends and acquaintances in the world you know they don't they don't separate you from those people completely but they definitely put up mental blocks so that you remain separate from them and don't get led astray as they would put it yeah there's many people in our church that did marry people outside of the denomination but Mm -hmm. most of them have since converted sooner or later yeah my mom was that way she married outside of the church and then her husband converted the general principle is you should associate yourself with people that would be morally upstanding and not some someone that would cause you to deviate and mm. become immoral and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What about restricting or controlling sexuality or controlling clothing and hairstyle? Did you guys see any of that? Church manual says that we should dress appropriately for the time period. Okay. So you don't have to wear like uh, like the Amish where they wear like a dated clothing. Very such. conservative clothing, and, yeah. Mm. The principle is to dress mod- uh, modestly, not to garner any attention for yourself, rather okay. that you should attract attention based on your personality and mm. your your character. Yep, I, I second everything he just said. That's that's about accurate as far as clothing and hairstyles. Yeah. Sexuality-wise, we don't necessarily promote uh, the LGBT community. We don't disassociate ourselves with them. We can be friends with them, but the, the problem is that we cannot condone their practices okay so i guess there's no you can't be a full member of the church if you're gay for example is that right you can be a member of the church if you're gay it's just that you cannot marry anyone that's of the same sex got you 
And you can't have as premarital as... sex, right? Yeah. No. So you, you can... You see it as a, it's a sanctified thing given by God just to, to have children and stuff like that. Got you. So if you are... If you're gay, then you can be a member of the church, but you can't... Basically, you can't be gay. You can't marry and you can't have a relationship with somebody and also be a member of the church. Is that fair to say, do you think? You can still attend the church. It's just that you can't be a member if Got you, you do take part in yeah. those unions. Okay. And what's what about just general restriction or controlling of sexuality? Like, you can't, uh, from my understanding thus far, you can't... Uh, have premarital sex, for example. Are there any restrictions on like positions or things that you're you're not allowed to do, even between straight couples? Nothing that I know of. I never heard anything like that. When I was there, masturbation was kind of an uncertain thing, but I think most people uh, came down against it. I read something on this. I'm not so sure. Don't quote me on this, but I read somewhere about uh, one of our founders, Ellen G. White, was talking mm -hmm. about it. What she said was. You can you can do masturbation as long as you don't lust or like have those immoral thoughts while doing it. Okay, that's really fascinating. And I just want to make note that the Bible never mentions doing that one single time. There's this verse that's quoted that isn't actually even in the Bible. I just think that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, I mean the the be, you know the the closest thing to masturbation that that we do get was with Onan, but. But that's, you know, even that is not, even, you know, pulling out is not, the sin was that he refused to fulfill his duty and give his brother's wife a son and continue his brother's line by that. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't about the, the pulling out. Right. Um, oh, do you remember which they, verse that is, by the way, or which? Uh, oh, I couldn't tell you. I know it's somewhere <clears throat> in Genesis. There was one prominent person that was in our church, but was long since disfellowed in the 1900s. Was you know a guy called John Harvey Kellogg? Yeah, yeah. he was. He he's the guy that um that made, made that that popular popularized circumcision. Yeah, he yeah. was he was an Adventist. Was he, <laughs> he really? Was, but yeah, he and was, he got... but he was disfellowed. Yep. Do they regulate? what and how much you eat and drink. Now, I understand that there are some rules that go along with what you can eat, right? There's like, you can't eat yes. certain types of yeah. meat. Uh, what are those rules? We'll start with Andrian again. Okay. We follow basically what's written in Leviticus 11. So the, the hard restrictions are that if you eat meat, it has to be something that has a cloven hoof and chews cud, or if it's a mammal, fish have to have fins and scales, no predatory birds, basically, though, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's pretty um, much kosher then, for the most part. Yeah, vegetarianism is, is encouraged, but not required. Mm. I'm pretty sure that in general, alcohol is not permitted. Caffeine is discouraged in some parts, but not banned. There are, there are always conservative people complaining that caffeinated beverages are served on Adventist colleges, that kind of thing. There. Okay, so what about you, uh, Doc? Do you have any input on this one? Well, yes. What he said, all everything he said was correct. Mm. But just to add on top of that, for the Adventists, we don't just practice this because God said, us, uh, said to do it. It's mm. because the, he had a reason for it. That was uh, what food that he permitted us to eat is what he was intending uh, us to. Uh, he had some reason to do it. Mm. Yeah, for, it's, it's for a health reason. Originally, during the Garden of Eden, we were supposed to eat vegetables, fruits, and that kind of right. thing. The only reason why we were permitted to eat certain meats is during the time of Noah, because there was a lack of vegetation. So some people that are really extremist in uh, within the denomination or have moved on to reformed adventism they see this as a, a reason to go back to vegetarianism because there's a lot of vegetation and such okay. so we don't basically don't need any animals at this point the the founder lng white also made a book about it that she was recommending a vegetarian diet we have the next one here which is deprive you of seven to nine hours of sleep i don't really see that a lot do they do that or no i don't think Nah. Do they overwork you or like do you have to study things nonstop or anything like that? Not overwork, but there are some programs for kids that require intense study. Have you heard of Pathfinders? It's basically an Adventist alternative. I have study. not heard of that before, no. Yeah, I've been there. I mean, generally Adventists are very health conscious and would encourage 
uh, getting plenty of okay. sleep at night, um, except, you know, in certain circumstances where like you're holding a vigil, at, you know, sure. or something like that. So that's not too much of an issue then. So basically what we're taught is that God wants us to take care of our, our physical health as well as well as our mental health. Mm. So eating healthy is part of what we believe. What about exploiting you financially? Like you, you guys said you can't be full members unless you tithe, right? Mm, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. Maybe oh, I misunderstood. I, I mean, that was, that was definitely the case in mine. I think that that's sort of the official position, but not everybody, mm. it's a, it's a regional thing. Not everybody follows that. Gotcha. Um, in my church, they were, they were pretty strict about that, but that's not everywhere. Okay. And it's like, um, it's 10% flat I, basically, right? 10% plus offerings above that. Mm. But yeah, tithe means one tenth. <laughs> so, got you they uh let me see uh, i i do remember there was one time when our conference or or something sent out a a request for some kind of humanitarian aid and they they try they kind of guilt tripped the church with the line from jesus uh what you've done to the least of these my brethren you've done it unto me you know while showing pictures of the poor and, uh -huh, yeah. and you know that kind of thing. What was that? So, like, it was a video or? Yeah, it was a video that they distributed to all the mm. churches and, and said that they wanted us to show it. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that they were so centralized that they, I guess, like, even Methodists are centralized with, like, the Methodist General Conference. I forget what it's called exactly, but we will get to that because that, that's very interesting. What about restricting leisure time and activities? For example, are you allowed to watch, like, R-rated movies or do they restrict that or, or other things? Are you allowed to read I, Harry Potter or whatever. The general consensus is that you should only consume literature and media that would enhance your character or to improve certain things like education. They would promote education heavily, but they would discourage watching like R-rated movies, mm. anything that would be an affront to God, basically. Yeah, um, and, and this is actually something that's sort of a point of contention in the church. There are some bits on, in Ellen White where she says not to go to the theater, and so there are conflicts about whether or not Adventists can go to the theater. And then, of course, that uh, now that there are movies and things didn't exist, does that mean that we can watch movies? And what kind of movies can we watch? That sort of thing. It, it's sort of a, a very contentious question in the church. Definitely, leisure activities are limited during Sabbath, uh, as as I mentioned before. And and yeah, as he said, generally. The, the rule is that you're supposed to be trying to consume media that's going to glorify uh, God, you. quote unquote. Yeah. Okay. I In my church, they definitely banned Harry Potter. Uh, my mother was uncomfortable with me re reading Lord of the Rings, mm. um, you know, but that sort of thing. But at the same time, we definitely did watch certain R-rated movies that right. didn't have like a lot of sex scenes in them and that sort of thing. So <laughs> take that for yeah. what you will then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. What about, this is the very last one for behavior control. What about require you to seek permission for major decisions? For example, Catholics will require you to like sign contracts and things like that for marriage. Do you see any of that? I can't well, think of anything. <laughs> there's just general marriage counseling, but I don't think that's anything with this what about like yeah. confession do they have any kind of confession type of um, thing or confession it's supposed to be private within your mm -hmm. own room you shouldn't uh, tell anyone because they're not in a position to forgive you or to judge uh, basically uh, judge yeah. Or anything. yeah okay Interesting. yeah yeah um yeah they actually they actually think that Confession is one of the things that Catholics are getting wrong. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay. Well, that's the end of behavior control. Let's move on to information control. The The first one under information control is deliberately withhold and distort information. With Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they discourage you from like reading outside sources and they want you to get all of your information through them pretty much. Do you see any of that or do they ever twist information about the church or anything? There's definitely a protection of Ellen White. There, there are accusations that some of her work is plagiarized, mm. and they will they will flatly deny that. I even had uh, a pastor say, "Don't go and read up on this kind of thing because it's led Adventists astray." You know, he he explained why the accusations are wrong, but he said, "Don't go look into it for yourself." But mm. that's like the most extreme thing that I can think of. Mm. They are young Earth creationists, or at least a lot of them are, and so anything to do with evolution is going to be distorted and warped. 
if you've if you've seen Ken Hammer or Ken Eric Hovind, or anything, uh, yeah. that that kind of stuff, it's going to be uh, very similar to that sort of okay, stuff. Okay, interesting. What's your take on it, uh, Jolly Duck? Well, in regards to just biblical information, it's mm-hmm. it's heavily encouraged for personal study. But in terms of uh, Ellen G. White, I haven't read up on her all that much, and I haven't really taken into these plagiarism controversies, so yeah. I'm not really that well-versed on her literature. In terms of evolution, yes, there's a lot of us that are really conservative that I talk to a lot of members, and then they would just like simply disregard evolution and so mm. They would just say it's like it's the work of the devil and so well, the next point we have here is forbid you from speaking with ex-members and critics. Do they discourage you from talking to ex-members and things, or is that not really a big issue? Or For me, it's not really much of a big issue. Uh, when someone leaves the church, instead of, like, uh, in, our, in my case, instead of rebuking them and just cut off all co- uh, communication with them, we're encouraged to try and spend some time with them, see mm-hmm. uh, what happened in their lives, and try to comfort them. And if they can, if if they're willing, try to get back, get them back into the church. Okay, right. Yeah, that's definitely the case. My my church, every time that I show up to any kind of social function where they're there, they're always happy to see me. Okay. There's definitely sort of a family, uh, family like element to the church, mm. and and everybody's sad when somebody leaves, um, unless they were really causing trouble. Um, right. And they, you know, and and like you said, they do want to try and win you back. Okay. So. The next one is discourage access to non-cult sources of information. This kind of ties in with the other one a little bit. Do they have like a website where you can learn all about like evolution and things like that or? They have a lot of stuff like that. Mm. I don't know necessarily any any particular website. There are mm. lots of Adventist resources. There's the Review and Herald, which I think they still own. Mm. Um, yeah, they do. Yeah, which is a which is a publishing company. There's also Pacific Press, which I don't think they own, but is a, also uh, Adventist owned, just not by the church. Okay, so uh, so they have uh, lots, of, you know, so they put out lots of of. Uh, books and, and information and things right. um i'm a little bit out of touch so i don't know if they have like websites but i know that there were tracts that would say for information on on creation evolution see this website or right. for questions about the bible see this website and, and things like that Got it. what about divide information into insider versus outsider doctrine do you see any of that like them saying that the other is wrong they're wrong about this thing and that thing and and if you don't believe our way then you're you're going to hell or or anything like that well i wouldn't i wouldn't take it that to that extreme where you're gonna go to hell it's just we compare our own doctrine to compare to other denominations and see where they they are wrong so basically we're trying to take scripture and trying to disprove their doctrine especially this is heavily done uh, with the sabbath there's also a lot of criticism of the catholic church in particular but yeah that's about right is that there's we we definitely dispute with other denominations over correct interpretations of the bible sure. and and especially about the sabbath interesting okay this next one is generate and use propaganda extensively. I know Jehovah's Witnesses, I gave them a really high grade for this one because they are a printing company. That's what they started out as and what they are now. Um, do I mean, that's not limited to print, though. It can also be in the form of videos or whatever else. Do you guys see any of that from the church? There's definitely a lot of Adventist-oriented media it's like a whole different world <laughs> as mm. far as as the media is concerned really? um, they have yeah they have they have tv stations that yeah, show up on news. satellite and public there's publishing companies there's organizations like amazing facts mm. uh that that put out seminars and and things like that but i definitely wouldn't say that they have the same kind of emphasis on consuming that stuff that jehovah's witnesses do okay so they have like their own networks and things but what about like for example, news. Do they have their own like news style uh, networks and yeah. things? Yeah, we have one called the Adventist News Network, or ANN for short. Oh. oh, okay. I hadn't heard about that one. That one must be new. It's a weekly thing where they they usually upload on Friday and talk about uh, stuff happening in different unions and conferences within a dom- denomination. That's and- cool. fascinating. They usually upload on Fridays. I think that would tie into discourage access to non-cult sources of information a little bit, but really interesting. Okay, so what about uh, use information gained in confession sessions against you? Now, I know you guys mentioned that they don't really 
believe in confession at all but is there ever a time when i don't know you admit to something like that that they would view as wrong like maybe you're you have a boyfriend and you're sleeping with him or something like that or maybe you admit to being gay or something do they ever use that stuff against you well i mentioned with my aunt that's definitely something that happened with her if you hold an office, for example, and you mm. reveal that, that you are, are currently engaging in a behavior that is not permitted for that office, for example, if you're a pastor and you get divorced or, or you're, you're in adultery, that, that could make you eligible for having your ordination removed or suspended. Mm. And so it's like um, there you will face repercussions for doing things wrong, pretty much. Uh, ties in a lot with the modifying behavior with the rewards and punishments, I guess, right? Yeah. And, and, and again, the, the higher you are in the, in the hierarchy, mm. the, the more scrutiny is put on you for that kind of thing. And, and they use certain passages in the New Testament to determine, you know, what can a deacon do, what can a, uh, what right. can a pastor do, that kind of thing. So use of loaded language and cliches to stop complex thought. That is, I, I, I've heard some pretty solid examples of that from yours, Andrian. What about inducing hypnotic or trance to indoctrinate. I see a lot of that from, for example, Pentecostals, where they're completely out of their minds when they're at church and singing and chanting and yelling. Do you guys have any of that or anything like it? Honestly, I would say that that's discouraged. Mm, okay. Yeah. They talk about not repeating things vainly, no vain repetitions. They're definitely not the sort to roll around in the in the aisles and, and speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a very specific thing for them. It doesn't mean speaking gibberish. Right. It means when, when you speak, people in different languages can understand what you're saying, mm. even though you're not speaking that language. Gotcha. Um, for, the per for the purpose of mission. Yeah, so I agree yeah. with what he says. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we that, that one's not terribly intense. What about teaching thought-stopping techniques to prevent critical thoughts? Do you see anything like that? <clears throat> in general theology, that's not that doesn't happen. But in terms of like scientific, mm -hmm. kind of. Yeah, yeah, I would say that that's pretty accurate. I would say that there's certain maybe thought-stopping techniques mm -hmm. for protecting you against wrong doctrine. Mm -hmm. Like you are encouraged to uh, to study the Bible, but there are certain things that are so are considered to be so clear cut mm. that like if somebody says that worshiping on Sunday, for example, is biblical, that you shut down on that. There's there's no listening to that kind right. of thing except to debate it. <laughs> okay, interesting. Is debate discouraged at all? Uh, no. Well, kind of, yeah. I I would say. Debate within the church is a tricky subject. Mm. Debate with people outside the church is encouraged. Mm. Okay. What about uh, allowing only positive thoughts? Do they heavily discourage uh, negative thinking in any way? In terms of negative feelings, we are allowed to have negative thoughts or mm. so, but we shouldn't like dwell on it. Okay. Since we are supposed to take care of our uh, physical dwelling on health. negative yeah. thoughts, it can lead to like mental illness. So generally. If you focus too much on negative thinking, it might lead to uh, depression or, or depression, mental depression mental problems. Like right. Okay, that makes sense. What about uh, use of excessive meditation, singing, prayer, and chanting to block thoughts? You guys said that's not really a huge issue with it, right? No, not really. No, but I don't. I don't think so. I mean, there is there is singing, there is praying, not so much mm. chanting, but I don't think that it's used to stop thoughts. It's more of just getting you into a devotional mood for church or sort of as a, a group building exercise. You're all singing together and, and okay. feeling the spirit of God and all that kind of thing. In more liberal churches, what I have seen in services, they tend to usually repeat courses to like worship songs and stuff like that. That would be oh. seen as repetition in different churches. Yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's fair. <laughs> Um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes there'll be a, a chorus that they'll sing over and over again that, yeah, yeah, you're right there. <laughs> Generally, for me, it's a bit too repetitive, and I'm not really a fan of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I hated that. It was boring. <laughs> what about uh, rejection of rational analysis, critical thinking, and doubt? I, I think that we've talked about, for example, evolution uh, and, and their rejection of that. Do you see any rejection of rational analysis, critical thinking, and doubt in the church? I'll let Duck take this one first. In science, I guess so. But in terms of uh, <clears throat> biblical interpretation, we don't 
we don't just use the Bible. Uh, we just don't read the verse mm. and just interpret it from that. We take a number of factors. We take the whole chapter into consideration, the context, the, the time period, mm. ar archaeological information and evidence and so forth. Yeah, I, I would say that there's certain information that's definitely withheld from members in general about like how the Bible is compiled. The story that's usually given to the general audience is very watered down and, and very like raise your doubts and then quickly assuage them mm. without really going into like when I went to, to study religion at college, I learned a whole lot about the Bible that I didn't know before. Mm. And it was definitely something that uh, I was told like that that the scholars, you know, they had a bias against the Bible or against mm, Christianity, right. things like that. Uh, the same thing goes with evolution. And certain doubts are definitely, it's all right to have them, but not to dwell on them. Okay, that makes you know, sense. Like, yeah. it, you know, if you're starting to doubt whether or not God exists, for example, that's the sort of thing where you, you know, you're given a bunch of apologetics stuff to read. And then you're expected to figure, you know, to 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 have figured it out and expect and, and accept sort of the the orthodox answer. So right. that makes sense. That, okay, that was at least my experience. Yeah, uh, there but, is an Adventist commentary on the Bible. They don't take everything into. Uh, they don't take every single source or uh, approach, but they do take a lot of sources into consideration, and they do mention them in the commentary. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like. The, the general the general members will be ignorant of it, but if you really study into it, then they'll tell you more of the stuff. And it's not like they're... I don't feel like it's necessarily that they're withholding it directly as much as they're just trying to keep it simple and digestible for people who are non-intellectuals. Mm. But I think that they oversimplify and they, they kind of obfuscate certain things in that. Right. Okay. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. That's actually the end of thought control. The next category is emotional control. So the, the first one we have here is instill irrational fears or phobias of questioning or leaving the group. And I, I see a clear example of that with, say, Catholicism, where it's just this overwhelming fear of going to hell. Do you see any examples, maybe not going to hell as the fear, but are there fears or phobias of leaving the group for any reason? I, I definitely had them. Mm. Um, myself. <laughs> Leaving the church was a very scary thing. Mm. Uh, they don't preach the fire and brimstone kind of stuff mm. very much, but it's definitely there. Of course, um, Jehovah's Witnesses I, didn't believe in hell, but I, I still had fears of leaving the group. It just wasn't based on that. What was yours based on? Just the fear of like well, not getting to heaven? or there, there was the fear of not getting to heaven. I was also desperately afraid for my non-Adventist and especially my non-Christian friends. Mm. Like, I remember I was in Africa, I just preached a sermon on stuff. Um, well, during the sermon, I broke down crying, actually, mm. saying that I don't want to, to have to search heaven and not find you. You know, and, and at the time, I was thinking of, of some of my friends at school and how sad it would be if I, I, I didn't get to spend eternity with them. Yeah. And I mean, that's not so much a phobia of leaving the church exactly, but it's definitely, you it's know, there, yeah. Um, they, yeah, they, they, you know, they talk about how this is going to get really doctrinal, but like at the end of the millennium, there's going to be this whole war where, uh, where all the, I'm going to say the damned, um, for, for lack of a better word, assemble and try to attack the new Jerusalem. And the idea that I could be in that army attempting to attack my fr my friends and my loved ones right. or vice versa that I could be you know sort of standing on the wall seeing the people that I love now trying to destroy me that's really a, a traumatic kind of thing yeah I can definitely see where you're coming from with that uh, on a quick side note there I'm actually wondering what is the who which ones get to be the ones attacking friends and stuff like which people get the swords and and attack? the non-believers or whatever so so yeah so the idea is that anybody that would normally end up in the christian hell mm. they are resurrected as uh it's complicated but but the the basic idea anybody who doesn't get into heaven is going to be in that army led and deceived by satan into into trying to to break mm. into the new jerusalem as they say which is the city that comes down from heaven and, and is right. going to be on earth and at that point then the fire and brimstone rains down burning and killing everybody 
that isn't in the city. That's very interesting because Jehovah's Witnesses have some interesting beliefs regarding that too. And it sounds like they're really, really similar. Um, like uh, they say only 144,000 people will get into heaven. And as soon as Armageddon starts, they're going to be given swords and sent out to kill all the non-believers pretty much. But the, oh, yeah. the well, rest no, won't. It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely not. Uh, it's definitely not the the Adventists and the saved who are mm. going to be pulling out the swords. It's Satan and those who follow. Him. Oh, I see. Okay, so Satan's people are going to be attacking Adventists. The, the idea is, well, this is this is all like, oh boy. Um, so there, there's there's basically two resurrections for uh, the dead. The first one is for the good people who go up to heaven for a thousand years, uh, and then they come down in the New Jerusalem. The second is for all the bad people who are resurrected when the New Jerusalem comes down, and Satan, who's been alive and stewing on the earth, thinks, okay, this is my one last chance to rebel against God and take over the city and and all of that. Mm. And so he leads everybody as an army to attack the city. The thing I find most fascinating about this is... The fact that this is all written down in a book, and it's it's almost like it's set up at, like, inevitable, this is what's going to happen, but Satan presumably read the book, right? I don't know why he's following the script here. Kind of strange to me. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think the idea is that it's basically his only hope. He knows he's going to be destroyed if he does, you know, and so he right. might as well go down fighting kind of a thing. Right. I think that's the idea. Oh, that makes um, sense. It, it was mm. uh, it was something that didn't fully make sense to me either, but that's mm. that's basically the idea that I get. Right. Um, and, and, Duck, you can you can correct me if I made any mistakes there. Does that sound right um, to you, Duck, on that front? <laughs> I think you summed it up. Okay. But yeah. just a little footnote, we don't believe the 144,000. There's yeah, more people than that because yeah. we didn't take that verse literally. Right. Yeah, we. Yeah, the hundred forty-four thousand is more is more treated as a figurative, uh, maybe like a, a figurative thing. It's mm. it, yeah, we're like we don't look for specific individuals who are part of the hundred forty-four thousand, mm. and honestly, Adventists don't have especially robust explanations for that particular verse. Mm. They just sort of gloss over it a little bit. But the idea is that it's it's symbolic for something. Well, I feel that was pretty valuable exchange, right? I think that was really interesting. That stuff is one of that's one of the weirdest things that Adventists believe because it's very unlike any other denomination that I've heard of. First of all, they're annihilationists, so they don't believe that hell goes on forever. And then they believe that there's there's two resurrections of the dead. The dead are sleeping uh, in the grave, and there's no there's no afterlife until they're they're raised. Well, there are reasons for why we believe that, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's definitely reasons for it. It's just fascinating That's that it's, where that it it's goes. so different. Yeah, it's very from, different. It, it's so different from other Christian theologies that makes it very interesting. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses have their reasons for believing the 144,000 and things, too. And when you look at it just with zero context outside, it, it seems to make sense at its face. So it, you, I know what you mean exactly when you say there are reasons for it and everything else, but... It, it, it's yeah, it's I really could, interesting to get into the doctrine. I could quote the verses for you if you really wanted to, but oh. I don't want to make this into a, a, a Seventh-day Adventist right. Bible study. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> that That's super fascinating, though. I do appreciate you getting into it. So let's look at the last few here. Um, do they label some emotions as sinful, worldly—I'm sorry. Do they label some emotions as evil, worldly, sinful, or wrong? Do you see any instances of that one? Lust and hatred uh, and selfishness in general like it's okay to like yourself but generally you're supposed to be doing things for god and for your fellow men right. and not for yourself and there i said met fellow men which is a holdover adventists tend to talk in older and what we would uh, and what we would normally think of as as misogynistic language to speaking of men and mankind and right. all of that fascinating Okay. What about teaching emotion-stopping techniques to prevent anger or homesickness? I know that Mormons do this when they send kids on missions, kind of cut them off from everybody else, make them dependent on the church, and they teach them how to shut down certain emotions. Do you see any examples of that in the church? In my uh, church, there was a discussion about this, mostly uh, based on the emotions of anger, hatred, and such. If Mm. you for example, if you are in a couple and you are having like a disagreement and are having like a, a heated argument, one of the, the things that were suggested was 
stop everything and just pray and then it would help to alleviate some of that anger and hatred with the other partner yeah i i can't think of anything that's specifically for like loneliness or homesickness mm. but yeah he's right certain negative emotions you're told you know stop what you're doing and pray and right. that will help you get over that particular negative emotion and and do the right thing okay what about promoting feelings of guilt shame and unworthiness i know catholics are really really bad about this one do you see that a lot in Adventists? I think it's definitely there. You know, you're told that all our good works are as filthy rags. Uh, there's no, not one who's righteous. No, not one. Um, we all fall you know. short of the glory of God. Do you hear that one? Yeah, all, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. Right. And and it's and it's because of Jesus' grace that we are saved. It's not any of our own works, that kind of thing. Okay. Though though works are also important. If you're not doing the works, that's a sign that you don't really have faith. Right. <laughs> so yeah. so do the works. A little conflict there. <laughs> we don't believe in once saved, always saved. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also a thing where you're con you're kind of constantly in fear of losing your salvation. If you if you if you screw up, you have to constantly be praying and and seeking forgiveness and. Right. Right. And and making sure that you're on the right path. Mm. What about um, shower you with praise and attention, a.k.a. love bombing? Do you see any of that like for new members, for example, when they're joining or if somebody comes back after a long time or anything like that? Is that common or? It's a tradition. Most churches here where if there's like a new visitor, there would be in front. Uh, no, before you going into into the halls, there would be like a visitors book to like you write your name, phone number, stuff yep. like that. And once you're in with the divine service, there would be like a, a presider who would say, "Are there any new visitors here?" And then people would be called out, and you would tell them your name. And afterwards, once everyone has been announced, we would have this time where everyone greets each other and says hello and mm. try to make it more sociable or in a, like, in a happy state. Yeah, they, they, they definitely try to welcome new people. It's, it's a very celebratory atmosphere whenever somebody okay. new shows up or is baptized or comes back. Um, you know, there, there's definitely that. I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like a malicious thing. Like that, it's right. just more that we want to make them feel welcomed mm -hmm. and included and part of the family. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it doesn't have to be malicious. A lot of the time, it's not. I mean, even Jehovah's Witnesses mm -hmm. aren't doing it from a malicious perspective. But the two next ones kind of group together. Threaten your friends and family and shun you if you disobey or disbelieve. And the reason I say that they're grouped together is because a lot of the time, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they're complete pacifists. Jehovah's Witnesses are. They will not physically attack anybody or threaten people, but they will threaten them with things like shunning or re negative repercussions for breaking some rule. Do you see any of that with this group or like shunning or anything do they shun they don't generally shun the the hmm. only way that they'll leave you alone is if you tell them to okay <laughs> or you know or if you reject over and over and over hmm. again and they just sort of they they're just sort of like okay okay we get it right <laughs> you know I, so i don't see shunning i don't see threatening of anybody with anything really hmm. like your family or friends right. uh, apart from the general threat of not getting into heaven and and right. dying in eternal death Standard and all of that stuff yeah <laughs> oh, that makes sense do you have any thoughts on that uh duck or does that sum it up pretty well for yeah. you it sums it up but just want to add something mm -hmm. uh, generally with um if you like have like a disobedient child if it's like really serious or like if they won't stop beating is kind of not everyone does it but uh, like some people just quote uh, the bible saying like don't spare the rod or something like that. yeah spare the rod spoil mm. the child yeah that's um, pretty big saying yeah that that's true um again it's a thing that's sort of debated among adventists the less conservative ones will be will generally be against it and the more conservative ones tend to be for it mm. it's not something that you hear sermons about very often or anything like that it's just sort of a an adventist cultural thing right it's okay. also kind of a traditional thing because yeah, there's like more of the, the African and Asian community, regardless of what uh, like religion you are into, they will they will do it. Ah, okay, I've, I've, I, did, I've, I hadn't noticed that, but yeah, I've had the, I've had my good share of that. Okay. Okay. So what about th this very last one we have here? Teach that there's no happiness or peace outside of the group. Do, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses say people just want to be on the outside of the group 
because they can sin. They want to sin. And they're really living just absolutely miserable lives. Do you guys see anything like that? or To some extent, I've definitely had the you just want to sin line thrown out at me. Mm-hmm. There's definitely things that they'll say, like, you can't be truly happy without Jesus or without a relationship with God or, you know, mm-hmm. however they say it. It's worldly pleasures are fleeting. They uh, mm-hmm. kind of like a drug, okay. I guess, where it's it feels good at the time, but then it, it messes your life up later. Right. Yeah, I... I think they've used it, especially if you've heard about blue zones. And in California, there's uh, you there's a, a, like a city called La Melinda. Generally, there Adventists have a higher lifespan than your typical Californian, and mm-hmm. some attribute that to uh, faith. So mm-hmm. they would use faith as a way of like keeping positive and having something to live for, like a purpose in this life. So yeah, that's that's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, you're. So if you if you are constantly working towards something that would like they would have like a more positive mindset that this is all this is not all for nothing. Right. That kind of mindset. That is super fascinating. Well, that is actually the the very last point on the bite model. Before we get off of here, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you guys wanted to kind of touch on? Uh, any closing thoughts about this or anything? I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Andrian. I would say that there are definitely beliefs in Adventism about demons and demonic possession mm. uh, as, as real literal beings. I would hear stories about that from various church members. Usually at camp as sort of the closest thing to a, uh, a ghost story that you could get. Mm. But I've also heard about it from the pulpit from pastors who say they would cast they they had cast out a demon or in mission stories where you know a missionary was faced with a demon possessed person that kind of thing. Right. Um, their their exorcisms are not as formal and ritualistic as Catholics. Mm. It's it's more of an internal struggle, I guess you could say. Yeah. I, I don't know how to ex- explain it, but it's it's definitely not a ritual thing. It's it's something that you deal with uh, separately in each individual case based on you know what the demon is doing and what it's all about and the the personal history of the of the person right that's very interesting jehovah's witnesses have similar beliefs and feelings on that um okay that's really interesting information what about you uh jolly duck do you have any thoughts on it any closing things not a lot um (laughs) other than adventists in general their beliefs can vary from person to person Mm. so if you're trying to define uh, what is Adventism? It generally would not apply to every single person sure. who are part of the church. It's al- it's also really interesting how there are certain church doctrines that different churches will uh, ignore or enforce differently, you know, mm-hmm. or or enforce more strongly. Like there there will be something that the General Conference puts out, but it's sort of a subject to interpretation kind of thing. Right. Uh, so the best way to learn about, in my opinion, Seventh Day Adventism is to actually. Uh, go into churches and just see what it is like from the inside Mm -hmm. they generally wouldn't withhold anything from a visitor Mm -hmm. other than like general friendliness and stuff like that unless unless they think you're trying to cause trouble because i know that we've had people who were using the church to try and uh you know the church phone to do drug deals and stuff like that and so as long as you're reasonable and and aren't doing something that would be unacceptable anywhere else i think you'll be fine okay and if you have general concerns or questions there's usually opportunities to have that after service or during potluck and stuff like that right yep definitely want to go on a potluck day if possible because adventists love to share food (laughs) right very fascinating and if you you haven't had special k roast you have not lived (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting and make sure that uh, what kind of church you're going into because if you like meat and you bring meat to like a predominantly mm. vegetarian or vegan church it can be looked down upon you'll just get weird looks from different yeah people. yeah mm. go vegetarian it's always a safe op- safe option <laughs> very fascinating well again i appreciate you guys coming on and talking to me about this it's been very very interesting and uh and i will talk to you guys again later on okay all right awesome all right